God who gives life to the dead calls those things that are not as though they are. You may be dealing with something. You may be facing something. You may be believing for something that isn't happening right now. But God says if you'll stand, if you'll trust, if you'll believe, I will cause those things that are not to become as if they are. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, I've got a message that uh, is part two of what we started last week on the authority of God's Word. I want you, if you have your Bible with you, don't lift it up in the air because if you don't have it, it's it's not a horrible thing, but you really should become very accustomed to your Bible. This book changes lives to all those who find God's word, to all those who find God's hope. God's word, we call it the Bible, the logos, the written word. But we also have the rhema which is the living word, and this is both. How many here have read a verse of Scripture? Maybe it's your favorite verse of Scripture, and you've read it a thousand times, but the last time you read it, it's just like it came to life to you. How many have ever had that happen to you? I've had it happen multiple times, okay? And I continue to happen multiple more times. Why? Because the Bible is a living word. This is why it's very difficult to read the Bible. Oh, you can read it in literary form, or you can read it in spiritual form, which is what it's intended for. It is life. It's meat. It's drink to those who would seek after it. This is why I shared last week. As a pastor, I have people all the time say, Pastor, do you know, can you quote all the scriptures? No, I don't know all the scriptures. I know many, many scriptures, and I can quote lots of scriptures. But more than quote them, I know where to find them. I open my Bible, and I may not know where in Isaiah it said, you know, Isaiah 55, maybe it's Isaiah 66, but I can turn to the book of Isaiah, and I can open it to the exact spot where that scripture is. Do you know why? I spend time in my Bible. I say this, ladies and gentlemen. I sent a a note out on Facebook yesterday 
uh, got an email that was forwarded, uh, a, a posting that was forwarded uh, about a, a pastor. Uh, he's a vicar in Baghdad. And ISIS has just taken over one of the largest Christian towns in all of Baghdad. And he said they're martyring, they're killing, they're beheading hundreds of men, women, and children. You know what those people stood on? God's word. You see, they knew it wasn't a feeling, it wasn't an emotion, it wasn't an activity or an organization. Too many times we look at church, and church is just that. It's a place we go. You know what the Bible teaches? Church is the place you are. You are the church. I don't go to church. I am the church. And he said wherever two or more are gathered, folks, we be having church. Why? Because it's God's word that makes it church. Fifty days after the ascension, we call it Pentecost Sunday. That was the birth of the church. That was just a couple weeks ago. Or yeah, a few weeks ago. But the reality, ladies and gentlemen, it all derives from one thing. The only authority on this earth. And that's God's word. Are you with me? The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And the word, the logos, was with God. And the rhema, it says the word, but it's now the different word. The rhema was God. And in verse 14, it says, and the word or the rhema, the living word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Everything's embodied in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? But this is the authority. When Jesus was dealing with Satan in the wilderness, he didn't call out to John and Paul and James and Philip. Oh, that's right. They weren't there yet. But he didn't call out to the Baptist either. I'm not talking about the organization. John, the Baptist. Okay, some of you will get that when you leave here. He didn't cry. You know what he did? He said, it is written. So please look at me before you get into your notes. The greatest thing you can ever do in your life is spend time in this book. Read Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Apply Scripture. You can have as much in your head as you want. If it's not in your heart, it doesn't change. Okay? You say, well, how do I know what's in my heart? It becomes part of your feet, and you start living it. Am I making sense today? I went through something many, many years ago. I, I was preaching all over the world, and, and I got a phone call in the middle of the night. And this phone call, it was... It sounded like a very pleasant voice when I said hello. But then just as soon as the hello ended, it turned into the most sinister sounding voice that I ever heard in my life. It was blood curdling. And I'm sharing this piece of story because a spirit of fear came on me like never I have imagined in my life. And I spent years tormented. I was a young Christian, wasn't a pastor yet. 
You say, well, Pastor, why did it happen? Because I was playing with sin. You play with sin, you lose. You play with fire, you get burned. I was playing with sins as a young Christian. The, I, the spirit of fear, it just latched itself on my life. The only peace that I had, I would read God's word to myself out loud. In the 103rd Psalm, David said, I encouraged myself in God. I say that only to say this. You're going through stuff. You can call me and I'll pray with you. You can call a friend. They'll pray with you. But you know the thing that will change your life? Not just comfort your life for a moment, but will change it. Get into God's word. You see, the enemy fears God's word. That's why in the wilderness, Jesus didn't call to somebody else. He said, it is written. And the enemy was broken every time. How many think this is a pretty important book? Let's get into it. God's word is the only medium for altering the course of an individual's life. It is the only book, if you will. It's the only writing. It's the only correspondence. Yes, that's what it is. Correspondence between heaven and earth that makes an eternal difference. All the self-help books in the world make no difference. This book of books talks about a time where there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no death, no suffering a place of eternal joy, a place of peace, happiness. Yet it must be understood that nothing that's written in these pages or the dedications has any effect on the person that will not apply it. It has to go from the eyes to the head, to the head, to the heart, from the heart to the feet. It has to be applied in your life. My tongue got over my eye teeth. I couldn't see what I was talking about. Whether it's a self-help book, though, folks, or even God's Word, the content does not matter if it will not be applied literally in the basis of your life and mine. I want to go to Luke 5, and I want to take you through this message this morning very succinctly, very simply, but very purposefully. Luke 5, one day Jesus was standing on the lake of Gennesaret. That's Tiberias, that's up Galilee. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who'd been washing their nets. So Jesus got into one of the boats belonging to one by the name of Simon. We know him better as Peter. And asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down in the boat and taught the people. When he had finished speaking, listen to this. He told Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night. We've caught nothing. But I want you to underline this in your notes, please. But because you say so. Underline that in your notes, please. 
but because you say so, I will let down my nets. Look what Jesus, look what Peter originally did. He started backpedaling. He said, Lord, come on. Number one, you must not know anything about fishing. You don't go fishing in the morning. You fish at night. And we fished all night long. We haven't caught a thing. And now you're telling us to go fishing? We're done fishing. We're ready. We're over. How many ever stood and stood and stood and stood and stood and said, you're done? I'm done standing? Besides me, anybody here? Someplace in my Bible, actually, Ephesians 6.12, he says, when you've done all you can do to stand, stand. Peter is looking at the situation. He said, this is ridiculous. Come on, we've done this all night long. But did you underline this in your notes? But because you said so. Look at me, please. There are things in this book that I do not because I understand them, because I'm told to do them. Does that make sense? Samuel Clemens, we know him better as Mark Twain, made a very powerful statement. Many people believe he was a deist. He wasn't necessarily a Christian, but he did believe. He made a statement. He said there's a lot of things in this this book, he's talking about the Bible, that I don't understand. And there's a lot of things in this book, though, I I can't misunderstand. And that's where he bases life. He knows. God said it. I'm going to do it. Am I making sense today? The first part of your notes has this statement, doing things God's way. Why? Simply because he said so. See, the God that created the heaven and the earth, everything that we see, everything that we know, the Bible says day by day he looked at each day and he proclaimed it good, one day at a time. He didn't say yesterday was good and today's better. He said, this is a good day. This is a good day. This is a good day. Six days, he said it was good. Seventh day, he rested from all of his work. By virtue of the fact that all things were created by and for him, gives God a unique privilege of determining on how all things will start, abide, and conclude. Your life was written before your first breath was ever taken. He had a plan, a plan for Chris Tucker's life before that first breath was ever breathed. And he said, Chris, if you will follow me, if you will live your life, if you will dedicate, if you will apply my word to your life, I will make sure you start well, you live well, and you end well. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. God has asked all of his people to follow his ways, even though at times they're hard to understand. This is why we have a thousand plus denominations in the world, is because when they didn't understand it, they took the part they did and they built a denomination around it and did away with the rest. Are you okay? This is what man does because the scripture said he would. 
Well, pastor, where does it say? I'm glad you asked right there in your notes. 2 Peter 3, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. You know what that means? That means God allows and puts up with a lot of stuff in the world he did not intend. Because they are the fruit of sin, it is the result of rebellion, it is the result of the enemy's hand, as the word also says that Satan is still the God of this world. One day he is going to be placed in ultimate defeat, but today he still has power. He has no authority, but he has power. What is that power, you say? Deception. He knows how to deceive, how to deceive people. He knows how to lead astray or to tempt people that they do not do what God said and follow God's way. Bear in mind the Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote in the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. Listen to what it says. His letters contain things that are hard to understand. How many have read something in God's word? You say, man, I don't understand that. They're hard to understand. But you don't go and throw the Bible away. You don't go and throw your Christianity away just because you don't understand. But there are some that do. Look what it says here. He says, unstable and ignorant people distort as they do all the scriptures. To what end? What's it say? Their own destruction. You say, Pastor, is it easy to understand the scriptures? Yes, it actually is. It's actually very easy. Well, how come I don't? Because most people do like you do and like I used to do when I was a young Christian. I read a passage. I don't read a context. You see, these nice numbers and letters and chapters and verses and all that, when these were written, they weren't written with verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. They were letters. They were written in continuation, secession, if you will. But man, so he could find things easier, divided things in chapter and verse. And I think the hand of God was in it as well, the way things fall so systematically. If I don't understand something in Scripture, I read ahead and I read behind. If I still don't understand I read further ahead and further behind. If I still don't understand, I may have to read the entire book of that writing to understand it. But I guarantee I'll understand it. Do you know why? Because God said if any of us lack wisdom in John in James chapter 5, verse 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, excuse me, 1, verse 5, if you lack wisdom, ask, and I'll give it to you. You lack understanding, ask, I'll give it to you. God wants us to understand. The Lord tells us in your notes to follow after him. I received another uh, of those things where I saw another posting on Facebook. I look at Facebook and I'm thinking, man, how how do people have time to do all this stuff? But I saw this posting and it was actually a posting that was kind of against pastors. And it said in there, you're not supposed to follow man, you're supposed to follow God. 
And so I responded. And I said, your post is correct. And then I said, Paul the apostle said it this way, follow me. What's the next words? As I follow Christ. He didn't say follow me. See, if a pastor says follow me, I was pastoring in Tyler, Texas, uh, the very first church that I ever pastored. Um, and I was there, and I was listening to this big radio station or this big church that had their, their uh, uh, radio program on Sunday mornings. And this pastor stood up on Sunday morning and said, don't bring your Bibles to church. You can't understand them anyway. It's for me to tell you what they say. I said, Lord, clean that church out. Because the reality, folks, you don't follow man ever. I'm grateful people love me. I'm grateful that people trust me as I follow Jesus. The way you know I'm following Jesus is you watch my life. Okay? So follow me as I follow Christ. Because if you don't do that, just as soon as that person falls, you're going to fall. Just as soon as that person makes, you say, well, Pastor, he might not make a mistake. Oh, he will. We all make mistakes. It's just I have a bigger flashlight on me, so my mistakes are brighter. Can somebody say amen this morning? The Lord says to follow him. Not only doing so, but do so before we get so messed up in our own thinking. Why? Because we pulled something out of Scripture, out of context, and we don't base it on the authority of God's word, but on the preference of our own desire. Look what it says here. Every man is right in his own eyes. He's able to convince himself that what he is doing is okay. And you can find scriptures, Judges, I left it in your notes, Judges 17 and 21 and Proverbs 16 and 21. Multiplied others. But look at Isaiah. That's where I wanted to focus this morning. Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord when he, while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Underline that, please, in your notes. Seek the Lord while he may be found. What does that mean? It means very simple that if you do not make a decision to follow Christ and you continually play with sin in the world, it'll come to the time in your life that your heart will become so hard you will no longer find him. Not because he's not still there, but because you can't tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong any longer. Am I making any sense? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. It's not a matter of just stop doing wrong, but the thoughts that come into your mind, you have to take authority over them and cast them down. How do you do that? By using God's word. The Bible says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, cast down, or chapter 10, verse 5, cast down imagination and every thought that would exalt itself above the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought through the obedience of Christ that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable purpose of God. In all of these different things, ladies and gentlemen, God is telling us it's his word that's going to make the difference. You say, Pastor, well, I'm not fully on that. Well, let me read more in Isaiah. Let him turn to the Lord and God will have mercy on him and he'll freely pardon. For our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But look what he says here. It is my word 
that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return empty. But will accomplish what you desire, what the pastor desires, what God desires, and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. That passage who says, seek him while he is near. That word near comes from a Hebrew word that is translated an ally or of a kindredness, a close desire to be with. In other words, he says, to align yourself with God now in his word. Agree with his word. Let his word become a part of your life that we are no longer doing what we want, but now we're directed on what he has said. Let me take you back to Peter. Peter was in the boat. They'd fished all night. And Jesus said, cast your nets out in the deep. Let's take the boat back out. There are times in your life and mine that God will ask us to do things just to see our response. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus know that Peter had been fishing all night? Did God know where Abraham, where, where, uh, where uh, 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 Adam was in the garden when God said, Adam, where are you? When Moses was walking across the desert and the burning bush was burning, did Moses see that bush before? Well, the inference is that he saw it many times. But he said, this time I'm going to step aside and see what this is. God called from him. You see, God calls for us. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I want to give you rest. But we are the ones that have to do like Peter and at that point step into the boat and push out another place when the storms and the waves and the pains were all around him. Jesus said, step out in the boat and come to me as he walked on the water. Jesus will ask us many times, get in the boat, get out of the boat, cast your necks, do it one more time. Look at Peter's response. Like many of us, I'm tired. Folks, there's sometimes I get so so weary, and I don't do this to complain and to whine and to cry, but there's sometimes that I just get weary. And I just, you know, anyway, that's another day. But here is the key to Peter's success, and it will be the key to your success every single time. Look what it says. But at your word, I'll do it. Because you said so, I will do it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus challenges us to trust what he says, even if it's different than what we understood or like. Proverbs chapter 3 says, if you want favor with God and with man, if you want a reputation of good judgment and common sense, look what it says. Trust the Lord completely. And then what's the next few words? 
What's it say? We lie to ourselves. We let ourselves down because we think we got it all together. I know I might be just speaking to me, but the reality is we can let ourselves down. He says, trust God completely and don't ever trust yourself unless what you're doing is lining up with the only authority you have to know what you're doing is right. In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Look at Romans 4. When I was growing up, they spanked them. And if you still do, all you're doing is what the Word of God says to do. Oh, it does not. Yes, it does. The book of Proverbs says, the rod of correction drives the evil spirit away. Some of you moms and dad missed a great place to shout amen. Some of the kids are saying, oh, me. The rod of correction drives the evil. The Bible goes on to say, spare the rod, spoil the child. See, God's word really is the final authority for every aspect of your life and my life. If we will just use it, God says that he will cause our efforts to be successful. He said, I just want you to obey. Understand, obedience doesn't always make sense. Sometimes it's downright foolish. I mean, I'm sure some of you have testimonies. I had a testimony many, many years ago where God, I, I had enough money left after I got my paycheck to pay my tithe, or I had to buy groceries, or I had to pay a house payment, or I had to pay a car payment. I didn't have anything, and it was foolish. God, I got to do something. He said, yeah, trust me. And so you know what I did? I trusted him. I put him first. I did what I was supposed to do. And guess what God did? He turned it around. Sometimes it's downright foolish. Why would I do that when I need to do this? But there's one factor that always rescinds natural reasoning. What is that? It's in your notes. God said so. But I didn't feel like it. God didn't say whether you felt like it or not. First Corinthians says we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, God, you don't understand. Oh, God does understand. He just says, do you? Folks, can I tell you something? The virgin birth doesn't make sense. God coming as a baby in a manger to go to a cross, to be raised from a tomb, doesn't make sense. But God said so. God said, I chose the foolish things, 1 Corinthians 1, to confound the wisdom of this world. 
Let me talk to you about Jesus. Look what it says, Hebrews 10. I, came, I come to do your will, my God. In John 14, he said, the world must learn that I love my Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. In Romans 15, he said, whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience, that we through patience, you might underline that word patience, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures. He said, Pastor, how does that correlate? Because when I read what I'm going through, multitudes have gone through before me. It brings me comfort because I'm on the right track. Are you with me this morning? Somebody say amen. amen. You know, in all of Peter's wrongs, he had one major right. He knew the scripture. He was not an educated man in the Torah or rabbinical school, but Peter knew the scripture. He educated himself in the scripture. He did his homework. He had a firm grasp on scripture, quoting it frequently. In Hebrews chapter 5, the Bible talks about Jesus one more time. Although he was a son, look what it says, he learned obedience from what he suffered. We struggle trusting the Lord in the areas that we think we know best. Peter was about to argue with the Lord. Lord, we've been fishing all night. Ain't nobody know fishing like Peter knows fishing. And he's telling the Lord, Lord, you, you know, I know you don't know you real well, don't know your fishing techniques, but you don't fish in the daytime, you fish at nighttime. I'll help you if you'd like to know. But Jesus was told by Peter, See, there was something Peter knew was different about him. See, Peter thought he knew best. Sometimes we think we know best. And God just says, what's my word say? What's my word say? You say, well, Pastor, what if I don't know what his word says? You do. Oh, you may not know chapter and verse. You may not know the verbiage, but you do. You know why? Because he said, I wrote my word on your heart. That's why when we do wrong, nobody had to tell us it was wrong. When we're not living right, nobody has to tell us we're not living right. The reality this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we struggle in this Christian experience because there's some of it that's different than what we think we know. And you know what? When we say, Lord, you don't understand, you know what you're actually saying? Lord, I know better. As Christians, we are called to give God's word the final authority in every area of our life. And if we will, the word of God promises, promises consistent growth, wisdom, and maturity. In a few weeks, I'm going to start a new series on learning how to hear the voice of God. I'm going to teach you on Sunday morning. And I'm going to teach us how to hear from God. Why? It's the only hope we have, folks, is hearing from God. You mean God still speaks to people? 
well, you're not talking about audibly, Pastor, are you? He said, yeah, I hear from God all the time. I know if I said that in certain circles, they'd try to throw a straitjacket on me. But the reality is I do. God speaks to me all the time. Let me wrap this series up or this sermon up. Number three in your notes. The first thing is doing things God's way is simply because God said so. The second thing is following God's way is the only way we'll accomplish God's will. The third thing is we can only accomplish God's will, God's way, by following God's word. The only way to know anything in God is through his word. There is no growing in the Christian life without the Bible as a regular part of your life schedule. Every day, you need to open it up. You say, well, Pastor, I, you know, you can do it with the devotional. Buy a daily devotional. They make them for men. They make them for motorcyclists. They make them for farmers. They make it for pastors. They make it for women. They make it for children. All kinds. You can buy books that are broken up. All the Bible scriptures on fear, and it'll list them all for you. All the Bible scriptures on prosperity. That's the number one selling book. I had it before they ever broke it down. Okay, you, you can sit down and you can take God's word and it can transform your life, but only if you open it and use it. I made a statement at the beginning of this message. God's word is the only medium that will make an eternal difference in anyone's life. Charles Colson wrote a book many, many years ago. And in that book, it was back in the, the uh, early 2000s, he wrote it. And, and in that book, he had this survey. It said 81% of 1,382 people said they were evangelical in their belief, yet 48% of them, almost 50% of those surveyed could not even name Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Out of those surveyed, less than 1% said their lives were directed or changed by what the Word of God says. Brings me to this last thought. Reading without applying changes nothing. That's why the Bible is still a great literary work. You can read it just as literature. Amazing stories Amazing thoughts and ideas, but it doesn't transform a life through the head. It transforms through a heart. Second Timothy 3 says, all Scripture, say that with me, all Scripture. That means all 66 books of the Bible. You want to know, you want to read the Bible in miniature? You say, well, Pastor, I don't have time to read 66 books. Read the book of Isaiah. There are 66 chapters. And it is the entire Bible in miniature from creation to the return. Isaiah, chapters 1 through 66. You could read that in a nighttime. Well, maybe not. All Scripture is God's God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in Righteousness. What's that word righteousness mean? To be in right standing with God. So that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped 
for every good thing. The Bible is all God's word. It's useful. It's applicable. And it will equip our lives. I wonder if that's why the acronym was found so many years ago. B-I-B-L-E. Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. The word Torah literally translated means book of instructions. And that's what you and I are to live by. The word Bible literally translated means book of books. We are to take this compilation and apply. It's not the pastor, the church, the people that meet our needs. It is God. Yes, he uses pastors and churches and people, but it's still God that is our source. I turn to my wife when we have struggles in pastoring, when we have struggles in finances in the church. It's amazing, you know, when, when, when people don't like something, well, I'll tell you how I'm, I just stop giving. Ain't my problem. That's yours. How's it mine? Because God said to give. And when we don't do what he said, what happens? Okay, that's another sermon. Think about it. God is still the source. Always has been, always will be. People are never the source. There's been an assault on God's word since the beginning of time. Trying to discount its validity and its credibility destroyed. Trying to destroy its credibility. Let me give you just a very small. In 600 B.C., King Jehoiakim, who was a uh, prodigy of Nebuchadnezzar and one of the pharaohs, literally burned all the scripture he could find along with killing and getting rid of every priest or prophet he could find. In 90 A.D., John was cast to Patmos because of God's word. In 1380 A.D., John Wycliffe, they say he is first. They, people argue there's somebody before him, but he was the first one to translate the Bible into English, and he was martyred for it. Matter of fact, they got so mad at him, 20 years later, they, or 40 years later, they dug up his bones and threw his bones into the river and saying God's word would be washed from the face of the earth. In 1536 A.D., William Tyndale translated the Word of God into English again and was burned at the stake. And thousands were martyred with him. I always thought this was interesting, so I wanted to include it in your notes. The atheist Voltaire. In your notes, I put the great atheist. I was going through my notes last night, and I said, what was great about him? So I took great out. So you can scratch that off. It was a typo. The world called him great. Voltaire once said, within 100 years, I'll have the Bible eradicated from mankind. Well, Voltaire died in 1778. 20 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house, and it became one of the biggest Bible printing presses in the world. The Bible is still the number one selling book 
in all of history. Still, number one, no one can bump it. Voltaire's six-volume set once sold for 90 cents. And Voltaire said once before he died, I wish I'd never been born. Ladies and gentlemen, turn in your Bibles to the 119th Psalm. It's on the screen, but I want you to find it. The 119th Psalm. It's on the screen, but I want you to find it. It's actually the longest psalm in the Bible. The 119th Psalm and the 11th verse says, God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing better you can do than to read, learn, and apply God's word to your life. His promises from Genesis to Revelation will change your life. And he will make sure that every promise he gave you will come to pass. I left a story in your notes that I'm not going to read just for sake of time, but it's an interesting story about Lady Anne Gristam. I'll tell you the overview of it. She didn't believe in life after death. She figured when you're dead, you're dead. Well, she made this challenge basically to God, and I think God took it. She said, I'll be buried, and I shall live again as sure as a tree will grow from my body. Well, if you go to the town of Tewan, England. There's a church yard that has a massive marble tomb that is completely encased by a tree. They actually did a, a, a survey of it, how they can figure out how a tree starts, and they say the tree started its root growing right through her heart. It's the largest tree in all of England. I guess God accepted the challenge, didn't he? Folks, Third John 2 says, I belo- Beloved, I pray that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. All Scripture is God-breathed, profitable for reproof and rebuke and correction and living a right life that God might be able to equip you. Let's all stand to our feet as I read these last words. Learning God's word causes us to love God's word and ultimately to live God's word. It is in this that God's word begins to change our lives and that of others. God's Word must have because it always has been the final authority on earth. As a Christian, you can't live without it. You can come to church, not make heaven, because as I humorously say, going to church don't make you a Christian anymore, and going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. 
It doesn't do it. Take the word. You know why I spend all that time? I spend a lot of time putting notes in your bulletins so you can take them home with you, so you can study them, so you can learn them, so you can apply them. Amen? That way you find out that you're not just trusting the pastor. You're trusting him because he's trusting Christ. Amen? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.